Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Doing good? Doing good? Sue's doing good. She's, she's cheery this morning. No. Good to see you today. Uh, the, uh, the frost on the windshield was a little bit rough for me this morning, I'm not going to lie. I was at the National Conference for the Vineyard this week, and it was in Phoenix. So coming back to having to scrape off my window this morning was like, yikes, and I'm home. Okay, here we go. Welcome home, guys. Uh, well, let me ask you, when was the last time that somebody took your words and either said them in a setting that you did not want them to say it in, or use them against you. Anybody had that happen recently with somebody? Maybe it was your spouse or your kids or a coworker. Uh, you know, growing up, my dad was a pastor and he had a really bad habit of getting up and sharing conversations that we had at home in private with everybody else. It was really bad. We'd be sitting there and he made us always sit in the front row. So he'd be talking and all of a sudden out would come this like, you know, deep secret that I told him in confidence at home in front of 700 other people who all of a sudden were staring at me right then and there. It was pretty brutal, uh, especially as a teenager. It was pretty rough. You know, maybe you have a parent who is an oversharer like I did, and you can relate to that. Uh, you've heard your own words repeated in settings that you were not okay with. Uh, maybe you've mentioned a frustration to a coworker or a boss only to hear it repeated in front of everybody else later on that day or that week. Maybe you're a parent and you have had your kids repeat things that you've said in confidence in your homes in front of everybody else. You know, this, this one happens fairly, fairly often. Uh, you know, I'll walk into a room and there'll be a kind of a gross smell and I'll be like, What's going on in here? Like, what's the issue, guys? And you know what always happens is that later on that day, we'll be at a restaurant or here at church, and all of a sudden, one of our kids will walk into the room and they'll go, what's that smell? And I just want to crawl under a table and die because everybody just turned and looked. Maybe you've been there uh, once or twice before. Uh, you know, Paul, the author of Romans, feels our pain in this because throughout the history of the church, beginning in his lifetime through to ours, he has had to address false statements regarding his own words over and over and over again to reclarify what it is that he's actually saying. Because people have often taken his words and repeated them in the wrong ways or in the wrong settings in front of the wrong people. And he had to keep saying over and over again, that's not what I said, guys. That's not what I said. And the section that we're in this morning, one of the verses highlights this perfectly. Verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1 says, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham. God did not reject his people. And then he goes on to justify himself one more time because somebody was taking his words the wrong way. 
So in Romans 9 through 11, Paul has to assert his theological belief regarding the Jewish people and the Gentiles and what God actually is doing with both of those groups. Because there were these two dominant questions in their church. One from the Jewish Christians was, isn't the, aren't uh, the Israelites still the, the chosen, the selected people of God? Aren't they still the ones that God is bringing his promise about in our world? And the Gentiles are saying, wait a minute, we're a part of this now. Is, aren't, isn't Israel like the past? Aren't they the thing that we're moving on from and we're the future? Like, isn't that what you've been telling us, Paul? So to those two dominant questions, Paul has to answer uh, very clearly on what it is that his views actually are, what Jesus's views really are. But the problem with both of those questions is that neither one is actually very good. Neither one's actually very grace-filled. They're both worried about asserting their own power and prestige instead of worrying about Jesus. They want their own position to be justified. And to those people, Paul keeps saying, that's not what I said. So before we go any further, though, I want us to learn from somebody much smarter than me, Tim Mackey, who does the Bible Project. And let's uh, watch this synopsis of these three chapters. Paul begins chapters. in chapter 9 with his own anguish over fellow Israelites who don't think Jesus is their Messiah. And it leads him to reflect on Israel in the past from the Old Testament story. And he reminds us that simply being an ethnic Israelite, a physical descendant of Abraham, never made one automatically a faithful member of the covenant family. Paul shows us how God has always selected a subset from Abraham's family to carry on the line of promise. And his point is that now that line of promise is carried on by those who follow Jesus. He reminds us that for a long time, people inside and outside Abraham's family have rejected God's will. He reminds us of the story of Israel and the golden calf and of Pharaoh's rebellion. He shows us how God was able to orchestrate events so that people's rejection of him actually accomplished his redemptive purposes. And so in chapter 10, Paul turns his focus to Israel in the present. The reason many Israelites reject Jesus is because they're basing their covenant relationship with God on their performance of the commands in the Torah. And so sadly, they don't recognize what God has done through Jesus to create a new covenant family on the basis of faith. And so Paul asks in chapter 11, what is Israel's future? Has God written off his people? No, he says. There are tons of Jewish people, including himself, who do recognize Jesus as their Messiah, but there are also a lot who don't. But God has been able to use their rejection for his own purposes. It's caused the gospel to spread even quicker and farther into the Gentile world, making the family of Abraham even larger and more multi-ethnic. Paul describes God's covenant family as a big olive tree, and the rejectors of Jesus have been broken off, so to speak, and these Gentiles are like wild branches that have been grafted into the family tree. However, Paul says, one day Jesus will be acknowledged by his own people. He doesn't offer any details about how. Paul simply trusts God's character and promise that he won't give up on his covenant people. So, from Romans 9, 1 through uh, 11, verse 12, Paul's speaking to the Jewish Christians in Rome, to the people that he calls weak 
not because he's trying to rip on them, but because he's acknowledging that in their context, they don't have power or prestige. They're lowest on the totem pole. Uh, and uh, in their situation, that is just their reality. And then in Romans eleven thirteen through 36, he speaks to the Gentile Christians. He calls them strong because in Rome, they are the ones with power. And in their church, they're the ones with power because the Jewish Christians had been kicked out for several years and now they were the main ones running the show. And so he speaks to those two groups and to those two groups, like was just highlighted there in that video. He says this important thing that the way forward with Jesus isn't through the law and it's not through just rejecting the Old Testament and pretending like it's not there. The way forward is through following Jesus as king and living lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit. So with that, I want to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us. And then we're going to jump into these three chapters. And I do, because I forgot to say it earlier, hi online. Good to see you. We're glad that you're here today. Uh, and we do hope that you encounter Jesus the same way that we encounter Jesus here today. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just ask for you to come. I thank you for your, your presence here with us. And I, I just pray that right now as we get ready to, to jump into this section of Romans, that we'll be able to just lay down the distractions, the, the things from this week, uh, the, the things that have weighed on us, that have been stressful, things that have maybe been exciting, but are kind of taking up, occupying all the space in our minds. We just lay everything in front of you, Jesus. And we ask for you to come this morning, speak to our hearts, make us aware of what it is that you're up to. We love you, Jesus. We want more of you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, open it up. There's Bibles in the back. If you want one of those, feel free to grab them. We even have them in Spanish and Portuguese back there. The Portuguese ones are like the fanciest Bibles I've ever seen. So, you know, if you just want to feel fancy, you can grab one of those. Uh, they're pretty sweet looking. Uh, but Romans chapter 9, verse 1. This morning, I want to talk about three things. Being chosen, being grace, and being grafted in. So let's start in Romans 9, 1. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit affirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if it would save them. They are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. He revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No. For not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. 
though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. I'm going to stop there for right now. So what about Israel? What is God doing with Israel at this point? Jesus came, that changed everything. Where is Israel in this is what Paul is talking about. Did God forget them? Did God get so angry with them that he was like, I'm done, moving on, going to somebody who I can deal with a little bit easier? Did God get so annoyed with them constantly turning against him that he just moved away and said, you know what? I'm ripping that contract, that covenant in shreds, and I'm moving on to somebody better. Is that what God did? No, that is not what God says to the people of Israel. Verse four says that they are God's chosen and adopted people. God chose through his grace to begin to bring the kingdom of God, his, his rule and reign into the world through the people of Israel. That was his choice. That was what he began with the time of Abraham. And this was a tremendous gift given out of a place of love and of grace to be adopted into the family of God. That's what it says in verse four, that they are adopted in. Now, adoption is a gift. There's no legal standing involved on behalf of the the person who is adopted uh, they, they can't go and demand that they get everything before the adoption is finalized. They're just sitting there waiting on the grace of somebody else, on the love of somebody else to come and say, I want you to be a part of my family. I'm welcoming you in. I'm pouring all my love. Everything that I have is now yours. You're mine. You're a part of us. Adoption is a true gift given freely without anything for the adopted person to really stand on ahead of time. God chooses us. He adopts us into his family. Listen again to verse eight. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. What's Paul telling us here? First, being born into the family of Abraham is not what matters. It's not bad, but it doesn't define, it doesn't mean anything any longer. It's not the final answer. And second, the, who the chosen people are has grown through Jesus. So let's talk about this for a second. What's this idea of chosen or elected or selected? If you've been around church for a while, uh, you may have heard these terms thrown, thrown about a little bit. You know, you're the selected people, the elected, the elected. You know, it's, it's a term that we throw around that we don't always know what it is that we're saying when we throw it. Uh, but in the Bible, it means three different things. It means, uh, sometimes it means salvation. Other times it's talking about Israel, the chosen people. And other times it means people that God has chosen or selected to carry out his plans in the world. In fact, Pharaoh was elected, selected by God to, to live out the role that he lived out uh, when he kept, when his heart was hardened and he kept the people of Israel in Israel. That's uh, this idea of chosen or selected. It covers those three areas. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I hear about elections or being chosen, I get like cold sweats 
because I start flashing back to middle school gym class all over again. I don't, you know, you all were probably much more in shape and popular than I was uh, in middle school, but I just start thinking about dodgeball, choosing teams. And like, I mean, when I would flex in middle school, like my arms did the like, uh, what was it, Popeye before he ate the spinach, you know, where like they drop down and they just hang there. Like I had nothing going for me when it came to dodgeball. I was not that tall. I was not big. I was not strong. And I was not fast. I had nothing going for me at all. So I was always like the last person chosen, truly. Like I'm, I'm being vulnerable with you guys right now and letting you know my reality, my scars. No, uh, but like that, that was, that was the truth. I, I was pretty much the last person chosen. So what I did that the summer of, I think it was my eighth grade year, was I decided that I was changing this. Like I was done being the last one chosen. So for four or five hours, I figured, you know, what can uh, a white boy with no speed, no size, and no strength do really well? Well, it was the 90s. I had learned that we could shoot threes in basketball really, really well. That was our role on sports teams. So that's what I practiced. For like four or five hours every day, all summer long, I would take out my Walkman, you know, CD Walkman, put on the headphones, plop in that CD, put it in my pocket, you know, because you had the big pockets in the back in the 90s, you know. You know what I'm talking about right now. And I would go and I would hoop it up. It had the fuzzy, you know, headphones, like everything, all 90s right there. Um, And that's what I would do. And I would shoot for four or five hours every single day all summer. And so I went into ninth grade and gym class, and I was pumped. I was excited. And so I go in, we play basketball, I grab the ball, and I shoot. And it was beautiful. The arc, I had this rainbow that nobody could block. Beautiful, nothing but net. You hear that like ting on the back of the net. (sighs) I went from being last picked in gym class to solidly middle of the pack, and I was okay with it. You know, not too bad. That was my reality. So I understand why the Jewish Christians who have lost all prestige and power in the church would want to grab a hold of the fact that they are chosen and to refuse to let go. Because it's really nice to know that you have a spot, to know that you're in, to have something that you can hang on to. It's a really good thing. Can I get an amen? Anybody agree with me on that? It's nice to know that you're not chosen last. And T. Wright says, all through the Old Testament was a basic belief that the one creator God had called Israel to be a special people. And as part of that call had given Israel the land to live in and the law to live by. So all throughout the Old Testament, this was, this was echoed and repeated, and they knew it. They were God's chosen people to bring about the kingdom of God in their world, to show people who God was and how to worship him. And then here comes Jesus, and the dialogue begins to change. So what is it that Paul is affirming and, and saying here? Well, Paul is affirming that God's, uh, he's affirming God's selection of Israel. And he's redefining what that means. So he's affirming that they're selected and he's redefining what that means. And the first thing that he says is that Israel no longer has exclusive privileges 
to the family of God. That we are all invited in. Through Jesus, Gentiles are welcomed in at a rate that's much higher than it's ever been. Now, to be clear, in the Old Testament, Gentiles could still become a part of the family of God. That was still a thing. That didn't change. As Eugene Peterson said, any person could become an Israelite by choice. Salvation is God's gift to all people, male and female, Jew and Gentile, bond and free alike. But Jesus threw open the door even wider and welcomed everybody in. Here, friends, is some good news that Paul's telling us. That we're no longer chosen because of our ethnicity or our cultural backgrounds. That we are adopted because of what Jesus has done. That's really good news to all of us. Where did the Jewish Christians in Rome begin to go wrong? Well, they tried to get right with God by keeping the law instead of trusting in God. They were so focused on the law that they missed the movement of Jesus. They missed grace. Now, how many of us here have been in the church for, let's, let's start with a big number, 30 years. You followed Jesus for 30 years and gone to church that long. Throw your hand up if that's you. If you're online, throw your hand up too. Uh, how many 20 years? Keep your hand up if you're 30 or, or yeah. 20? Okay, 10. Okay. So for many of us here in the room, this is really good news. And it's something that we need to allow to really sink in. It's a call to us. Because if you've been around the church for a long time, sometimes we can get so used to being a part of that we start to take it a little bit for granted. But we're not owed the rights of a child of God simply because we grew up in the church, if you did, like me. You're not in simply because your parents raised you or because you've been around for 10, 20, 30 more years. That none of that matters when it comes to being a part of the kingdom of God. I'm not in because I've spent three to six hours every week of my life and probably more if we're being honest. We, I went to some long church services as a kid uh, in church building, which would account for somewhere between one to three years of my life. I did the math this week because I was just a little curious. I'm not in because of any of that. I'm a part of the family of God because I was chosen by Jesus. Because I was welcomed in by the gift of grace. That is the only thing that matters. Being a part of the family of God is a gift, not a right. Paul's not against Judaism. He's against the Jewish, Jewish believers telling the Gentiles that they need something more than Jesus. And that's where they start to go wrong. You don't need anything more Jesus. That's it. Just him. So let's look at Romans 10, 1 through 4, as we start talking about this second word that I mentioned, which is grace. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. 
in Matthew 5:17, Jesus says the initial statement that Paul is really expounding upon here in verse 4 when he says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. His goal was never to destroy Judaism, but to show what God's bigger plan was. That God's plan was bigger than what they had known up until this point. God's plan was never a religious system. It was for the entire earth, for all of humanity to know him and to be welcomed into the family of God. That's always been his plan, always been what he's working towards. And Scott McKnight makes this powerful statement. He says that God has never shaped history on the basis of merit or status. God has never shaped history on the basis of merit or status. What matters? Belief in Jesus. Does living well matter? What do you think? Nah, not really. It doesn't matter that much. Yes, of course, living well matters. You know, obeying the, the way that Jesus has asked us to live matters. He didn't tell us to just do whatever we want. But his plan includes us living in a way that brings his goodness and grace into our world, that brings Jesus to all people. But us living perfectly is never the goal. Knowing Jesus is. Morality doesn't make us right with God. Again, if you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard this statement. But sometimes we, we get a little sidetracked. But morality does not make us right with God. Morality doesn't enter us into the family of God. Grace only does. Morality is fine and good, but it's never the answer grace is. Jesus is. Through grace, we meet Jesus. And in the presence of God is where we're transformed. Not through living by a set of rules and regulations. In the presence of Jesus. So what can we learn from this? Are we the morality police? Or are we inviting others into the presence of Jesus? What is our focus? Is it on telling other people how they need to live? Or is it on telling other people who Jesus is? Those are two very different things. And the only way forward is by showing people who Jesus is. It's not by telling them how to live. Jesus does that work. We don't. That's his job. We point people to Jesus, not to a set of rules and regulations. We need to show others that Jesus is not just truth. He's not just good moral living, but that he's better. That when you encounter Jesus, that everything changes. That when he comes and moves, that he brings healing, that he brings life, that he restores you, that he meets you in the midst of your grief, that he meets you in the midst of your job loss, that he meets you in the midst of, of suffering and of pain, and he meets you in the midst of the good times and the joy and the gratitude that you feel. In all of those spaces, Jesus is always better. He's not just a good moral code. We can spend our entire lives trying to be good. And you know what? You'll never be good enough. You won't do it. Here's a better way. Spend your entire life in the presence of Jesus. I can guarantee that will change you. That will give you entrance in. 
spend your whole life that way in the presence of the one who loves you, who's chosen you, who's adopted you, who's pulled you in. He doesn't ask us to be good enough. Yay, <laughs> that's good. He, acts, he just asks us to come in. That's what he's looking for. So what have we in the Jewish Christians learned so far? We aren't selected because of who we are. We're selected because of Jesus. And morality, the law, whatever you want to call it, is fine and good, but it's not the answer. Being transformed in the presence of Jesus is the answer. So now Paul switches groups. And just so the Gentiles don't feel like, you know, they're, they're the hot stuff now and they're not getting corrected, he starts to correct them. So let's look at this for a second. Uh, in verse 13 of chapter 11, he begins to talk to them and he paints this picture of a tree. A tree where God's promise is the root that gives life to everything else. Where the branches currently are the Israelites and where the Gentiles are being grafted into the tree. So read verse 17 of chapter 11 uh, with me here, 17 through 20. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You're just a branch, not the root. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. And you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. So at the risk of mansplaining, can I describe grafting into you? I am terrible at gardening and everything related to it. I kill things. I don't give them life. Uh, it is not my gift. So you prob there's probably several people in the room who know this process much better than I do. But I did watch a couple of YouTube videos this week, which... Might make me an expert, depending on, you know, I mean, they were long, they were like 15 minute videos. So like, usually I just watch like two minute videos. So like, you know, hey, this was pretty good. So let, let's paint this picture. So grafting in is the technique of physically inserting the living tissues of one plant into the living tissues of another closely related plant. So they grow together as one. So why do you graft? Well, you do it because you want the tree to be exactly the way that you want it to be. You want it to grow the fruit that you want it to grow. So you take a, a branch from a tree that you like and you graft it into the branch of a tree uh, that you don't know what the fruit's going to be on it. And then it guarantees it. So I didn't know this, again, because I have like the opposite of a green thumb. I have a purple thumb or something. I don't know. Uh, and so... But if you plant 100 Granny Smith apple trees, you are not guaranteed to get 100 Granny Smith apple trees. You might get one in 99 other types of apple trees. So this is where grafting comes in. You prune off the branch of a Granny Smith that you really like, and you go to the, the sapling that you've just planted, and you prune down one of the branches, and you take it and you carve it into this like kind of like V shape, 
on both ends, on the branch that you're putting in and on the branch that you've just pruned down. And you insert them together and they kind of fit perfectly and they, they hold together well enough on their own. And then you take some tape and you, tap, you tape it around and you do a little other things to make it, uh, to make it actually stick together. And at the end, three months later or so, what you end up with is a Granny Smith apple tree. You end up with what you wanted. And so when you're doing this to a whole orchard, all of a sudden you go from getting like all these different types of trees to getting exactly the type of orchard that you want. So when Paul's saying that we've been grafted in, he's telling us something really good. He's saying that we are necessary in the tree. That we being inserted into this tree is necessary to get the fruit that God actually wants. If God wanted two different types of trees, he would have left the Gentile Christians to do their own thing and the Jewish Christians to do their own thing because honestly, it would have been easier. It would have been much more simple to just do it that way. But he said, no, the only way that you're going to give me the fruit that I am looking for is when I connect the two of you together, when I take your living tissues and I make them into one. And then you grow with my promise, with my grace, with my love filling you and growing you. That's the only way that you're going to produce the type of fruit that I want. Together we've produced the fruit that Jesus desires. That's really good news. We need to be together. So where were the Gentile Christians going wrong? Well, verse 18 says this. You must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what can happen. Their issue was arrogance. They thought that since they were now in the family, that they didn't have to worry about anything. They were the future. They were where God was going. And everybody else, you know, can follow along with what it is that they're doing because they're the way that God's moving. And to them, Paul said, don't be too quick. You could be pruned out just as quickly as you were grafted in. What does this teach us? You require grace the same way that anybody else does, regardless of if you're already in the tree or not. We all require the same amount of grace. We all require the same amount of humility because it's about Jesus. It's not about me being good. Don't consider yourself superior, better than anyone else. Being made into one family, one tree is God's plan. It's messy. It's probably not the easiest way to do it, but it is God's plan. The only way though that we get the humility and grace required to live this out well is to be connected to the root, to get life from Jesus. So as we begin to end, uh, chapter 11, verses 25 says this. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ. And so all of Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them that I will take away their sins.
What's God's plan? For the full number of Gentiles to be welcomed into the family of God and for all the Jewish people to be welcomed in. Here's the beautiful thing. If you're going to do a math equation, full number equals all. God's plan is for everyone to come to know him. There's nobody excluded in this equation. There's nobody left out. There's nobody that's more valuable or less valuable. All are brought into the family of God. That is what Jesus is working towards. God's plan is for all of us to know him. Friends, you've been chosen. You've been given grace, and Jesus wants to graft you in. This morning, if you've never chosen to follow Jesus, I hope you do today. I hope that you take that step. And if you feel like you've walked away from Jesus, the position of your heart right now is not pointed to him. It's not too late. You can always be welcomed in. You know, it makes me think of the story of the prodigal and of the father's attitude towards uh, his son. If you don't know this story of the prodigal son, he goes to his dad and he says, I just want your money. And then he runs away with his money. And he goes and spends it all, and then he's dirt poor, uh, and he's eating pig slop, and it's a pretty gross picture that gets painted for us there. And he, he's sitting there, and he's like, okay, even my father's servants eat better than I am right now. At least I could go back and be a servant. So he begins to go home. And you would expect that the father would have said, you know, after his son left, like, okay, well, he wants me to be dead. I might as well go on with my life. I'm not going to sit around waiting for him to return. There's no hope found in that. There's no reason for me to think that that's going to be what happens. But instead, we're told that the father did this every single day. He goes out on the road and he looks for his son to come home. And he goes out the next morning and he looks. And the next morning and he looks. And every day he goes and he looks, waiting for the day when his son returns. And when he sees his son in the distance, he doesn't wait for his son to come to him. He goes at a dead sprint towards his son. And before his son can fall on his knees, he grabs him, picks him up, and gives him a hug, throws his robe on him, and throws a party for him and says, welcome back. This is what Jesus does to us. Whether it's for the first time or the fifth time, it doesn't matter. He's always looking, waiting. And when we come home, he grabs us and pulls us in because he's adopted us. He's chosen us. We are his, and he loves us. So as the worship team comes on up, what I want to do right now is I just want to pray. And if you'll just stand with me and online, feel free to pray with me as well. And if there's anyone here who says, for the first time, I want to accept Jesus in. I want to pray with you. If you're saying, honestly, it is way more than the first time, but I want to be embraced again because I know that I've walked away. I want to pray with you. So let's pray together. You just say, come Holy Spirit. Come and fill us, fill this space. Right now, I just thank you for this holy moment, this space to be able to be embraced by you, Jesus.
Jesus, I just pray for those of us here or online today who have never been embraced by you. I pray for that to come, for us to be aware of your presence right now. I just invite you to pray along with me if this is where your heart is. Just say, Father, thank you for choosing me. I know that I need your grace. I know that I'm not good enough on my own. I need grace. I need to accept your welcome, your embrace into your family. And so today I choose to trust in Jesus as my Savior, as my King. Thank you for living and dying. Thank you for coming back from the dead, not staying there, so that I can know you and be, relationship, be in relationship with you. This morning, I want to be grafted in. And if that's you, again, for the first or the fifth time, just say that clearly to Jesus. I want to be grafted in. I want to be a part of your family. I want to be adopted in so that I can live a life that flows from your root system, filled with love and grace and with a knowledge of your presence at all times. In Jesus' name, amen.